This is episode seven of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is founder of Bogey Box Golf Club, Nick Bando. Let's get it started. Hey gang, and welcome to episode seven of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andrego. Thanks again for being along in this journey and hope you guys had a uh, safe and happy new year and are ready to kind of crank into 2018. You know, the first week is behind us. I know it was a interesting week. It was kind of a short week because the you know New Year's Day fell on a Monday. You know, there was a lot of snowstorms up and down the East Coast. So a lot of different things you can say, but now we're into it. We're into the second week. And I want you guys to really start thinking about, okay, now I got to kind of put my, uh, you know, foot on the pedal and let's get it going. And it reminds me, you know, of uh, Stephen Covey. You guys may recognize, you know, the seven habits of highly successful people. Well, habit number one, it's be proactive. There's no better time than right now to get out there, be proactive. You already have your goals written down, hopefully. You know what you have to accomplish. Let's not get behind the eight ball. So forget week one. Let's chalk that up to it was a short week. There was a lot of stuff going on. People were on vacation. That's fine. Now we're into the new year. Now it's ready to get going. So put that pedal to the metal, and uh, let's get it cranking and look forward to kind of interacting with you guys and seeing how those goals are already you know, starting off here in 2018. Okay, so let's go ahead and switch gears, and let's jump into our interview today with the founder of Bogey Box Golf Club, Nick Bando, and his name is spelled N-I-K-B-A-N-D-O, and their website is bogeyboxgolfclub.com. They have a really neat subscription business for golf apparel. Um, you go to their website. They're almost like a concierge service for, you know, golf apparel. So you'll get set up with a stylist. You'll fill out a little questionnaire almost, um, you know, kind of your budget preferences, the fit, maybe certain styles that you like. Um, they'll even send you an email prior to the shipment of, hey, here are the things we put together for you. And you have a chance to say, you know, I like that or I don't like that before it even gets sent. Once it does come to your door, you have that opportunity to try it on. Do I like it? Do I like the fit? Do I like the style? If you want it, great. Keep it. If not, you ship it back. But if you're looking for a little different way to um, kind of buy your golf apparel um, or even some new styles that you never would have thought of, um, I definitely recommend to go check out their website. Nick's an awesome person. Um, I had the chance to meet Nick a couple years ago through Twitter of all places. And, uh, I think our obsession with golf is what kind of hit it off between the two of us. Um, and we've stayed friends since and, and talked several times. I won't steal the thunder on all the things we're going to talk about in this interview. Um, he just has a great business acumen. That's all I'll tell you. And I think you guys are going to get a ton out of listening through this, especially if you are trying to start a business, um, or maybe just started a business, you're going to appreciate all the deep insight that he does provide throughout this interview. So with that being said, um, let's jump right into the interview today with Nick Bando, and let's get it started. Hey, Nick, good evening. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brian. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. No, absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming along here on the journey and sharing some of your uh, your wisdom as we go forward. Uh, how are things up in New York? How's the uh, well? Let's start out with current day. How's the uh, 
the business going and, and maybe share with folks that are listening in for the first time and hearing your name, maybe just a quick, if, if you're in the elevator with them, kind of a little bit of background of your business and what you guys are doing now. Yeah, so uh, we're up in New York City, based in New York City, and uh, the name of my business is Bogey Box Golf Club. We are a new age clothing retailer that uh, believes that the the shopping experience is broken. Um, you know, twenty years ago, you had to to walk into a store to buy clothing. We live in a world today where uh, Amazon can drone drop you something in two hours. Uh, we believe that the online shopping experience is a little bit broken, and so we built a model where uh, customers can try clothing on at home, make a purchase decision, and send back the things that they want. Kind of like a an almost an Amazon Prime uh, membership, just around clothing, where they don't pay for shipping and they just pay for the clothing that they keep. So uh, our belief is that that's a better way to shop, and it's the way of uh, the future. That's awesome. Thanks for thanks for sharing a little bit about that and, and giving some folks some insight there. So on that, how did how did you come up with? And I know you're a big. You and I have talked about this a little bit in the past. You're obviously an avid golfer like myself. But how did you come up with the idea? When did when did it kind of spark in your mind? Like, hey, there, I got something here. Yeah, I, you know what? It's um, I, I've also heard this from other entrepreneurs. It started out of a frustration that I experienced with shopping for clothing. Um, you know, we've I've kind of been in a few different businesses before, tested uh, and learned different things. But the the nexus and the idea for our current business model really came out of a frustration that I just I hate shopping for clothing. I hate going to the store. Um, you know, the the process of kind of trying things on in a fitting room. I didn't really understand uh, why this had to take, you know, two or three hours. I enjoyed looking good. Uh, I enjoyed having clothing that fit really well. Uh, I just hated the actual process of going to a store. And um, so the, the business was started out of a, an initial frustration as I looked more into it, you know, the, the opportunity to buy clothing online seemed more convenient. It seemed like a better way that I didn't have to, you know, go to the mall to buy clothing. The problem was is that I just didn't know what would fit. And so when you're shopping online, you're kind of being promised, um, you know, the, the, the convenience factor um, of having clothes sent to you. But you really don't get that. You know, the, the thing that the, the kind of quote I always say is, Imagine if you had to pay up front for clothing uh, to go into a fitting room at a store. That would be absolutely insane. And that's kind of what you're doing with e-commerce right now is you're paying to try on clothing. And then uh, it's a total hassle to send things back. You're often having to pay for shipping to you and back to the retailer. Um, I, I just hated – I didn't think it was that convenient of an experience. And so as shoppers kind of moved online, I, I realized my shopping behavior – um, there's a problem that, that I needed to fix. And so that's kind of the, the idea behind the business. That's awesome. And, and I, it's cool that you're sharing that. I remember from uh, uh, reading we, uh, Rework, uh, Jason Freed Basecamp had written about, you know, basically scratching your own itch kind of thing. And that's all basically what you did there, that frustration Absolutely. of like, hey, let's let's kind of move it into uh, something a little bigger and better. I, I want to get into more of the business and, and have some specific questions that I think can really help some folks listening in. But just kind of turning back the dial a little bit on your life and you know, some of the things where I know at Virginia Tech, you, you kind of started something on a, with a, I think it was a Facebook group. I want to, I want to, I want you to share a little bit about that because one of the things that's always important that 
at least I know you know trying to get across with this podcast is folks understanding maybe the first idea is just spawning to your next one or to the next great thing mm-hmm. that you're doing. And you know, you probably when you started that didn't think, oh, I'm gonna be a billionaire with this Facebook group at Virginia Tech. Maybe you did, but you had some initial thoughts there. So I'm kind of curious your thoughts on just that whole realm, how you got started with that and, and how that's helped you in your current endeavor. Absolutely. So for the background story on on uh, my experience at Virginia Tech, I so my first job when I was a freshman at school, I wanted to be a journalist. And um, so I was writing some sports articles, huge football fan. And anyone um, who's a Virginia Tech alumni can tell you that uh, football is very, very important to our school. Um, and so I was writing, writing about football, was really passionate, and what I was noticing and kind of got frustrated with um, as a journalist was students weren't picking up the, the student newspaper. So this was 2007. Um, I'm writing articles. I thought they were super compelling. So are my colleagues. And uh, no one's really reading the newspaper. It's not, they're not picking it up. The, the medium that they receive news is totally changing. And, um when I'd go into lecture halls, I'd be sitting in the back and, you know, there'd be 300 students in my class all with their laptops open and they were all on Facebook. I mean, every single one of them was on Facebook. They were reading things online. And so for me, I was sitting in this middle ground where I, um, saw kind of the old past and the way that people used to consume media. And then I saw this new future right in front of me of a new way of people consuming information. So at the time, um, I was also doing advertising sales. I noticed that um, advertisers were were absolutely flocking to our Virginia Tech football publications, but not the normal student newspaper. And so I saw this opportunity both from a readership side and then from a business side to generate sponsorship sales to say, hey, let's build this digital, um, also print, but, you know, digital focused as well, publication around Virginia Tech football. So um, we did that and we got the support of the student paper to kind of spin off and um, build our own publication. And um, that experience was amazing. It was, it was kind of my first step into building something of my own. And what it taught me was to really look at the market and understand what do consumers want? Be, be totally fluid in understanding that their wants today might be changing and just try to be try to be a little bit predictive try to be ahead of the curve of of what they want you know what, what's funny now as we sit here it's uh 2018 you know 11 years later and i look at a lot of the things that i see from a digital sports media perspective things like barstool sports or um a lot of things that in our vertical in golf, Golf Digest are doing, it's a lot of entertainment focused digital media. And that's kind of that's what we were doing back in 2007. And uh, it's amazing to see that kind of play out that um, there's real demand for this new medium and a new way to consume content. So, so basically, what you're saying is Barstool Sports <laughs> did, took the idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here first. We, it was this like raw, gritty, kind of fun um, way to transfer information and, and to talk about sports. But look, those guys built an incredible business off of um, solely going all in on on digital media. They've done an amazing job. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, so you talked a lot about you know the passion for journalism, and, and I'm sure that's still there today. But how? One of the struggles I think a lot of people have, and I actually had this personally myself, changing careers and stuff, is. 
going from, okay, I'm a journalist and that's what I've always wanted to be to, wait a minute, now I'm a business owner or now I'm into digital media versus other things. Talk, talk about those days, like and kind of those early days. Were there, was there a struggle internally or was it kind of a quick decision? Hey, I, I know what I want to do. This is really not it. It used to be. Can you share some, some stories for, for the folks? Yeah, I mean, I I would say that my um, my experience was a, was a little bit out of fear. I realized as I looked around and as I was trying to innovate on the journalism side as an undergrad, I you know my second job out of school uh, was working for the Economists, which is uh, I moved to London, was working on the business side, not on the journalism side, and I realized like, look. Um, in this new world, in this shifting world of, of media, um, my job as a journalist is kind of, uh, you know, it's not as valuable as it once was. There's fewer and fewer jobs. The landscape is shifting dramatically. And so I think it was early on that I realized that, look, I've, I've got to find um, new ways to – I've got to diversify my skill set because maybe this isn't a career path I you know, wanted to go down. So for me, it was more out of – Look, like I don't know if there's going to be opportunities to do this, especially when I'm I'm sitting there at the Economist and I'm I'm looking at ad revenues are down, subscriptions are down, um, all of this information is free. I'm I'm getting super excited about uh, what you can get for free on Twitter and on Facebook, and um, I think from my perspective, I realized, look, the landscape for media is shifting dramatically. I need to learn this more, and I. I know that there's business opportunities that are going to come out of that. So that's that was my switch away from uh, being so focused on journalism and, and more on the business side of things. I, I frankly just saw it as a, an amazing opportunity. So that kind of got me into gear to, to learn more about, um, you know, what is this media landscape doing and um, change my career completely. I, I went into advertising. I, you know, I went and worked for uh, VaynerMedia, moved to New York and um, complete career path change just from from seeing kind of opportunity i guess yeah and, and while i was going to get into that you the the uh you know going from london come back to new york city and now okay now you're working for this up-and-coming digital agency what were some of the things that you found early on in terms of again that you're using today that really helped you out maybe some of the key you know tactics or things that you learned um in your days there yeah, absolutely. So when I got to VaynerMedia, I took a, I, I kind of took like a big step back in my career. It's like the, um, I don't know exactly. I'm gonna butcher the saying, but uh, two steps back, uh, three forward, something along those lines, or uh, three back, one forward. I forget what it is. But uh, from a career perspective, I, you know, I, I took a huge pay cut. Um, it was kind of starting over in a new industry. And what I came to the table with was, okay, I'm in a completely new industry. I have a lot of experience prior. I need to build a skill set. And so for me at the time, it was around paid media. I, I knew that more and more people were using Facebook. They were building out an advertising platform. I knew that the advertising platform was young and was going to be developing. So I, I honestly spent nights and weekends teaching myself how to run. And this was at the time, I don't know if you remember this, when Facebook only had the ads on the, the right-hand side on desktop, um, those mm -hmm. right rail ads. And um, I really just back to kind of learning something new, became obsessed with, okay, if, um, if I can learn a lot about this product, it's a skill set that doesn't uh, kind of 
doesn't require me to be at an agency for the rest of my life. I could take this skill set and build something on my own. And um, honestly, was the was the very reason I went to go work for Vander Media. It just so happened that you know timing worked out that uh, the skill set allowed me to to start my business. So um, yeah, from day one it was let me get in here, let me learn how to create an almost create an asset for myself um to you know i'm there working a nine to five i'm um consulting for clients i'm learning a lot about their business i'm learning how to send website traffic to their website i'm learning how to increase conversion rates and drive sales on their website and all along this is kind of building my skill set uh to give me flexibility to do consulting or start my own thing so i didn't know necessarily that i wanted to get back into an entrepreneurial um path, but at least had the, the tool. I knew that I need to give myself the tools to give me the flexibility to, to do that if I wanted to. Well, and, and, and that's great for, for people to hear kind of just your story of, you know, I, I really like that. And the fact that, Hey, you took ownership of this. This is something new. It's a, it's a new, you know, especially Facebook still being kind of rather new, I guess, back in the, that time, um, mm-hmm. you know, being able to actually learn something new and, and apply that to a new skill set for your business. Now, so that actually, let me span on that a little bit further. I think a lot of folks, unless you're I won't say unless you're really young, but listen, if you're, let's say, over 30, chances are you're already in a career, you're already doing something. That kind of side hustle we hear about, that's kind of what you did, mm-hmm. right? Is like, didn't you, have like, didn't you have like boxes of clothing under your desk or something? Is that one I of those? I did. <laughs> I did. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for, for me, um, I was very fortunate in that uh, I was in my early 20s didn't have a family. Uh, so I, I looked at that as opportunity. You know, I looked at that as, okay, let me sacrifice some time on the weekends. Um, let me take, you know, 25, 35% of my paycheck and run tests on Facebook ads. Um, you know, instead of kind of going out on weekends, I, I kind of rejiggered my, uh, life. And what I did was, you know, I, I actually had a storage closet at VaynerMedia. I would store inventory under my desk and, um, I was crawling, you know, I was trying to figure out, let me test, let me spend, uh, an entire weekend. Let me learn how to, uh, build a website on Shopify. And then I had the skill set already that I knew how to drive traffic from Facebook. So then I just tested. I would uh, – I'd open up a credit card. I'd max it out. I think I got like my first credit card was 3000 bucks, And I maxed it out uh, to drive website traffic, convert sales, got sales from that, then paid off that credit card. Uh, then would go to different vendors and try to get them to partner with me and test out different products. Uh, in the very early days – you know, I, I didn't have a ton of money to buy clothing, so I was trying other products, um, got a ton of customer feedback on, on what did and didn't work. But all of this was like the crawling phases. You know, I was still working a nine-to-five. I um, still had a stable paycheck. I wasn't kind of all in with this, this revolutionary idea. I think one of the things that um, – if I could give kind of any advice or if I reflect and think about what was really positive from my experience, you know, I didn't risk a ton. I just, I, the only thing I was really investing was, um, time and effort. And so slowly started to build that, um, until I had something that was successful and and until I got to a point where I said, look, I'm, I'm making more doing this than I'm doing my, in my nine to five. So, um, you know, the, the crawling phase was super pivotal for me. Like I, I don't think, um, 
uh, I would have ever taken the big leap. I think there's a ton of risk and fear associated with that. Um, but you know, doing something on a Saturday and, and packing boxes under my desk and then getting a hand cart and walking it down to, to the post office, uh, to do it one by one. Like that was easy. That was a, you know, the, the crawling phase. Well, I, and I appreciate you sharing the insight there just from the standpoint of a lot of folks. I, I know that's the biggest struggle. A lot of folks I talk with, it's that first step, you know, taking that first step and there, there's a lot of fear. So basically being, a, you know, hey, you did it, right? Why can't anyone else do it um, in terms of going in and work? Now, maybe not shoving stuff under your desk, but I guess if you have to do it, you you go ahead, you go ahead and do what you have to. Um, well, so – Let's go on a couple different things with that from a business standpoint. I really want to get your insight. Let's start though on a from a marketing um, standpoint. Sure. Where, where's the best bang for your buck right now? Is it still Facebook? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Facebook and Instagram advertising is wildly underpriced. Um, I think the most compelling thing that no one does is take out their phone, flip the camera around, front facing. And speak to their customers from the heart and say, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And this is why I'd love you to try my product. I think a video as simple as that, you know, call it a minute video uh, targeted on Facebook. You don't have to spend a ton of money to reach people. And um, you're going to see results. You're going to see really powerful results. I think where people go wrong or where people struggle with advertising on Facebook and on Instagram or frankly, any social media platform for that matter, is uh, they overthink their creative. Uh, they they oftentimes lead with, this is what my product is, and this is um, what I do, and they don't start with, this is why I do it. Um, and explaining the why, I've found more often than not, is far more compelling than the what. So um, just you know, absolutely bang for your buck, paid media, Get on Facebook, get on Instagram. You've got incredible targeting on there. You can get really granular if you've got a local business. Uh, you know, my uncle runs a chocolate shop in Sonoma County, California, and we're able to target customers within five miles of his store. We've got an amazing weekly content plan where he sends me a video every Monday morning recapping the weekend, recapping what he's going to do that week, and then I'm able to target to uh, customers right near his shop driving by every day and um it it's unbelievably effective and it's it's unbelievably cost effective as well you don't have to be spending tens of thousands of dollars on traditional media campaigns that may not be as measurable um absolutely facebook and instagram that's your place to be and what about um, just the, the content? I guess you said, is video the best play or, or is it doing some sort of – I don't know. It seems like people struggle with like, oh, I have to get a certain graphic or you know, I got to write this long novel to share with people. And you know, putting their advertisement out there, they feel like they – maybe they don't get their point across. Yeah. I mean so, so I would say um, – I would say creative matters regardless of medium, whether it's written word, whether it's photo – uh, or whether it's video, the reason I think video is so compelling, I mean, if you look back at, at the history of advertising over the last like 40, 50 years post radio, um, TV advertising has been a primary form of communication for people. And that has been done through video and audio. Um, the, the amazing thing is we have 
just an, um, that TV medium has now shifted from something that's in your living room to something that's in your pocket. It's on your phone. Uh, it's really easy to consume. Consuming a video on a social platform could not be easier for the customer. So, um, I think if you if you have a poor video or, or a poor message or a, a not compelling marketing message, it won't be as effective. Um, but that that's also a blanket statement. It's easier said than done to make a a very compelling video. I think tactically, what I've seen work really well is radical transparency. You know, I think the the consumer today is uh, smarter and more informed, and the bullshit radar has never been higher. Um, people understand, you know, when I'm getting a, a J crew catalog, I know that all the people that are smiling and are happy, those are all paid models. You know, I'm, I'm not, um, naive to that. And so I think social is an amazing opportunity, especially social video to be authentic and to be, uh, radically transparent because, um, in today's world that there, there's no, there's no more effective way to break through the noise of other advertisers. Can you also share a little bit about um, customer acquisition and, and costs around that? I know that's a struggle for a lot of folks, especially in the subscription model business or trying to get out online. Do you, can you share some insight or maybe how you how you kind of define that? Yeah. So, you know, I think every um, – so look at it at a very basic level. The cost for acquisition changes for every business. Um, you have to understand the value that you're getting back for that customer. So, um, for example, I'll, gi- I'll give you very specific unit economics for my business. A bogey box customer who shops with us spends roughly $900 a year. Um, and so that $900 a year happens over roughly four to five transactions. And we expect that customer to stay with us for about five years. And so the value of a five-year lifetime value of one customer for us is $4,500 in revenue. Uh, we're operating at about 50% margin. So let's call that $4,500. let us call that $2,250 is the profit that we're making off of uh, the gross profit that we're making off of each individual customer. So if, if we're running a acquisition model for my business, I should be willing to pay 2250 to acquire a customer. Now, not everyone has budgets that are that big. We certainly don't. And so we, and we certainly didn't to start. So I would highly recommend for anyone to, to be able to test very early on to test in a marketing budget, I would say $1,000 for one month over a 30-day period would be a really great place to start. Okay, understanding of how much it costs, one, to drive people to your website, and then two, to acquire a customer, to get someone to actually check out and convert on your website. So, um, you know, the, the cost for acquisition can can range widely. I would also say that the, the market per your audience changes. So uh, when we started the business three years ago, it cost us around $5 to acquire a customer. Today, it costs us about 65. Um, And so there's definitely been an increase in competition. Other people are are bidding uh, for golf consumers. You know, I'm competing against Rolex. Rolex will have a new ad with Tiger Woods. They want to reach golfers. They use the same targeting I am. And so now our advertising dollars are competing. So um, 
the cost per acquisition for your customer, I think it's important to understand what is the lifetime value you're receiving out of them. And that would change how much you're willing to pay. Um, and the, the initial cost to acquire really depends uh, on your industry, on how many people are, are reaching your, uh, excuse me, targeting your consumer. And um, my recommendation in that scenario is to, if you don't know your, your lifetime value, is just start by testing. Start testing, see what happens uh, from a website traffic perspective. In kind of line with that, you talk about we're talking about money a little bit and budgets and what have you. As you're starting out in the business, and obviously you had a certain way you did it, and everyone kind of does does it a certain way um, that's best for them. But t- can you talk a little bit about kind of the quote unquote bootstrapping versus going out and getting VC funding, like a little background? Because again, I think this is one of those things that there's a lot of noise out there. Um, how does someone know? Like, how do I sift through the noise and figure out what's best for my business model or whatever it might be? Absolutely. So I would, I would look at um, bootstrapping versus a venture capital model in two ways. If your business requires um, a lot of money to grow very quickly, and very quickly is let's say two years, um, you want to get from zero dollars sold to a million dollars sold. You're probably looking for venture capital money, and that is because they're able to give you more resources from day one to start running. You don't have to go through the crawl phase. You don't have to go from crawl to walk, walk to jog, jog to sprint. Um, you, you're sprinting from day one. And so if your business requires that, and a lot of businesses that, that go after VC are technology businesses. You know, uh, Let's use Uber as an example. Uh, example. They had to pay uh, a lot of money to acquire people to come on their website. They had to pay a lot of developers to uh, come and code their their app and keep it up and running. And so they had a lot of upfront costs before they even started making money. And so um, in a world where they had two choices of bootstrapping or VC, they would have never been able to bootstrap that. It would have it would have been too expensive um, for them to get off the ground. Now, if you are making, um, let's use like a clothing manufacturer example. If you're making T-shirts, uh, you can crawl. You know, you can take an initial bootstrap investment of a few thousand dollars, um, create a product, do your best to sell it. You're not limited to time. Uh, if you can sell through that that first run of shirts, great. Take the profits from that. Make more and make more and build and grow slowly. That's the type of business I would recommend that you know you bootstrap. Um, if you're in a product-based business and if your business is contingent on uh, making a good and then selling it, I, I think bootstrapping is absolutely the way to go. And, and if someone was starting a subscription business, I mean, that's kind of the model you guys obviously are with. What, what are what are things that maybe you wish you knew two or three years ago that you you know now, but maybe could help someone else get off the uh, kind of get out of the uh, the gate quicker? Absolutely, I I think the most important thing when starting a, a subscription business is product market fit. And so, what I mean by that is. Um, if a customer buys from you, are they going to buy from you five years from now? And if you look at it from that lens, um, I see a lot of subscription businesses that uh, have a novelty product where someone might be interested in, in using it for one or two months, but uh, quickly thereafter, month three and four, they 
are unsatisfied with the product or with the experience or with the value proposition, and they quit and they cancel their subscription. And so in a subscription business, the most important thing is you want loyal people who are going to continue to buy from you month after month. And so if your business or value proposition is not providing that, then you, you don't have product market fit. You, 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 people don't need your product. And so two examples of subscription businesses that I think are helpful to drive this home that I think are amazing businesses, one is Dollar Shave Club. And so they built a subscription business around uh, monthly razor shipments. It was a product that people do buy on a relatively regular frequency. They offered uh, a better price point. And so they built an incredible business around a replenishable item that people are normally buying on a regular schedule. And so that was perfect for subscription. Another subscription business that I've uh, been really fascinated with recently is a business called Hubble. And they will send you uh, daily reusable contact lenses uh, once a month. And their value proposition is if you subscribe with us, you trust us with uh, – you give us your business, we will save you money on uh, what normally is an expensive contact lens. And so in those two businesses, they are uh, repeat purchases that are, are native and really built for a subscription model. Um, oftentimes what you'll see is uh, subscription models being built with things that – consumers don't buy regularly. And so you, you see high churn in those businesses, people cancel. And that's when you, you run into huge issues. Because if we go back to that uh, cost per acquisition variable here, if you're expecting to receive $2,500 in profit from every single customer, and you're paying that much on the upfront, and you don't, you only receive $100 in profit, then uh, you're playing a game where you're paying more than you're getting out. And uh, whether you're well-funded or whether you're bootstrapping, that's just bad business. Yeah, eventually you'll lose, I guess is the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the last things I wanted to ask you, and that was gr great insight there, and even more for your business as well. How do you, you know, as a small business trying to grow, how do you know when it's time to hire new employees instead of, hey, I can handle this myself or, you know, my co-founder can handle this himself or whatever it might be? How do you know when that time is right? What are some of the things you found successful in your kind of line of work? Yeah, so um, hiring is really difficult. Finding great people is also really difficult. So you know you can you can go through the hiring process, spend a ton of time and energy, and uh, someone might not be fit for the role. Someone might not be fit for your team. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things that can go wrong <laughs> with hiring. And so what we've done as a solution and, and kind of from my experience is we've done uh, a lot of temp hires. So um, if we – a great example of this is you know, for the holiday rush in December, we had a large influx of orders. We couldn't handle it all ourselves. We were able to hire uh, two temps to come in. Monday through Friday, help us with the workload. Um, we found one of them to be fantastic and someone that was a great fit culturally for the team, um, a great fit for what we were looking to, to build and kind of a match for, for her career as well. And so she was able to, to come on board um, after some experience of working with the team. I think the you know it's a little bit atypical, but if you can almost like a, a – an analogy to dating, you know, if you can d date uh, a potential hire, get an understanding of their work ethic, get an understanding of, um, you know, 
giving them some sort of perspective on what to expect from the company, you're going to find a, a better fit for hiring. So, you know, we've had a lot of success with temporary hires. We've had a lot of success with rem- remote tasks. So, um, there's a few sites online that you can hire, uh, virtual assistants to do things that are you might not think as really important things for your business, but a virtual assistant can help you scale a lot of small tasks. So for our business, we uh, are really excited to pursue in in 2018 a B2B play with uh, private golf clubs throughout the country. And so we have a database of 25,000 um, emails and, and industry professionals. But for us to sort through all that information, is really difficult, really time consuming and really tedious. And so we were able to hire a virtual assistant to do that. Um, you know, they spent about two weeks on it and it was able to give us really actual information to say, okay, here are um, the top 25 head golf pros in Long Island that you should be reaching out to. Here's their email, phone number, and address. Um, it's something that you know we could have hired someone to do, but uh, probably would have been more expensive to hire and bring them on full-time and is also uh, not the best task to, to bring someone on when starting out your company. So um, scaling with, with virtual help has been huge for us. That's awesome. And do you remember the website off your top of your head for the folks? So we've we've used Zirtual uh, in the past, and I know that they're under uh, a new name now. But um, just honestly, a, a quick Google of virtual assistants uh, will help you find – I believe there's like four or five big companies that do this, almost like a, a matchmaking of um, – businesses and, and virtual assistants. Awesome. Well, so last thing here, and, I, and I'll let you go, what, what's kind of next for you guys? You mentioned the B2B play. What are some of the things on your on your uh, plate the next year or two that you're thinking could be big for y'all? Yeah. So, um, you know, what's really different about our business that um, I see, especially, so our industry is relatively fragmented. 50% of the market, uh, the golf clothing market is purchased off of golf courses, and then 50% of transactions occur on golf courses. So that B2B play for us is to, in an attempt to expand our market to um, capture some of the market that we're unable to capture right now. That's a big focus for us. Um, two, uh, customer loyalty and retention. You know, we've found that investing, even if it's if it takes marketing dollars. Investing in sending surprise and delight items to our customers, um, sending thank you notes, sending um, kind of personal emails and and spending extra time doing that with our current member base is a really good investment because for us, we always think about lifetime value of customer. If we can do anything to improve that, that's adding value back to our business. And so although it's not growth of new membership, um, you know, focusing on our members and, and um, increasing kind of retention and, and, and loyalty is really important for us. So that's a, another big focus. Um, and then third is um, working with a lot of our brand partners um, to, to develop our own in-house products. And what I mean by that are, are clothing items that are a little bit more affordable for our members, uh, and then provide better margin for our business. What we realize is that, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the brands that we sell are pretty ubiquitous brand to brand, a pair of, uh, khaki 
slacks very common on a golf course is very similar across all different brands and what we've been able to do is we get a ton of different feedback from our clients to say okay this cut works really well for this height and weight um you know people consumers in florida really like um this style and so we're able to 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 take a lot of trends based on feedback from our customers and predict, okay, this is going to sell well in the future. And in 2018, we would love to build out a business where we could see those opportunities and create them ourselves in-house for our customers. Well, Nick, I, I really appreciate the uh, the insight there and um, excited to see the trajectory grow. I know the last couple of years have been big for you guys. And uh, like I said, look forward to seeing you. Um, even all over the map in the golf uh, in the golf world here, especially with Tiger coming back, man, there's gonna be a lot of excitement. Twenty eighteen, a lot of excitement. A lot of excitement. Well, Cole Nick, thank you so much for the time today, and uh, really appreciate uh, all the insight you shared, everyone. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Really appreciate it. Have a great one. Well, so very thankful for Nick to share some of his time and some of his wisdom um, with us today, and I hope you guys uh, were able to take a few ideas away that'll you know help you in your own businesses going forward. Remember, they can be found online, bogeyboxgolfclub.com, as well as on Instagram, at bogeybox, and then Nick's personal Instagram, at bogeybando. As always, you guys can find me online. Uh, I'm My name now, Brian Andreco everywhere, brianandreco.com on my website, um, on Instagram and Twitter, at brianandreco, and that is spelled B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O. Thanks again for joining on this episode, and hopefully you guys will continue on this journey with me. I'm excited to share different things that I'm doing as well as hear what you guys are doing as well. So hopefully you're crushing your goals at the beginning of January here, um, and you have your sights on a, a great 2018. Look forward to connecting with you guys as we go forward. Have a great day. 